0: SB nation and underdog dynasty present the underdog podcast. And we're back with another episode of the underdog dynasty podcast, AAC edition. My name's Dan Morrison. And unfortunately it's just me. I know stinks. To just have me. Uh, Emily called out sick. She's on the, uh, physically unable to perform list for the week. Uh, and we weren't able to find a replacement on short notice, unfortunately. So here we are. It's better to do it with just me than to kind of have a uh, a little gap there in our coverage of the conference. Uh, so nothing crazy. We're going to go over the same kind of format for this. It's a uh, it's still going to be recapping the week, previewing next week, but you know, just me. So just my thoughts. You're going to get. Well, you're gonna get what you get from me, uh, and hopefully Emily's feeling better and is able to record next week because, you know, it's just better when we've got two people to bounce ideas and have a little conversation off of. Uh, but anyways, diving right into it, we're gonna start with Temple thirteen UCF seventy, uh, massive win for UCF at home on the space game. Uh, but I want to start over on Temple side of things actually. For the first quarter or so, they kept it pretty tight and close. And then once Temple got off their initial two, three drive script that, you know, everyone starts the game with like a 20 play script, basically, as they know what the first 20 plays they're going to call are, or at least they have some idea of what they want to do. And then you see teams get off of that script and they kind of have to adjust to one another, go back and forth like that. So that little chess match that you think about uh, with a game, Temple does not have a very good offense this season and in particular they're pretty awful at running the football and you've got warner who's a true freshman quarterback and at times looks like it and at times he flashes this really great potential but uh it was clear once they got off that game that initial script i should say that they didn't really have a response uh UCF was able to win the middle eight, kind of, you know, get a couple scores right before the half, then immediately come out and hit a couple haymakers. And the game was really over. Temple didn't have a response. It kept going and going and going and piled on for them. And then on the UCF side of things, there's a ton that you love to see with this kind of game. It is obviously, I mean, obviously, you look at the offense, you say, oh, good, they poured on points. The defense, and I guess the opposite you'd say of Temple not getting off their game script well, UCF adjusted to what Temple is doing and clamped down on it very well. Uh, I'm interested to see if the offense can stay successful like this about halfway through the second quarter halftime of the SMU game. It seems like something really clicked and now the offense is absolutely rolling. Uh, Temple's not a great opponent, but their defense has been very good this year against you know, admittedly, competition that UCF sees itself is better then, but the defense has been very good this year for Temple. And there's not worth discounting that. Uh, John Rice Plumlee was phenomenal again. Uh, you know, Bowser ran for another touchdown. He's up to nine on the season, but Plumlee had four passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, a massive, massive game for him, and they spread the ball around really, really well. Uh, it's everything you want to see. If you're a UCF fan, the atmosphere is great because it was the space game. Uh, uh, Thomas Castellanos came into the game 6 for 6 passing, also 3 runs and those 3 runs are good enough to make him the leading rusher on the day for UCF because he broke a few of them. He is a true freshman and he looks like he'll be the real deal long-term for UCF. So that's good to get that feeling for. It also makes me think that Mikey Keene is done at UCF. All things considered, he was not a guest recruit. Uh, Castellanos is. Uh, and Castellanos heard good things in camp, good things in camp, but everyone was like, well, the battles, John Rice Plumley versus Keene. I'm not sure how real that battle ever was. I think it was always Plumley's team, unless something was clearly dysfunctional about his ability to play quarterback, which it clearly is not, uh, even if it looked that way against Louisville, which wish you had that one back. But besides the point, uh, I expect, you know, you look at UCF, you brought in Timmy McLean as a transfer right before the season started. You have Castellanos, You have John Rice Plumley, who I believe has another year of eligibility after this. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about that, but believed as of the 2020 year, he technically has another year if he chooses to use it. I just don't see where Mikey King sees the field ever again for UCF. And I think if he's looking around, he sees then you know maybe sticks around another year or so to get the degree from the school. But I don't think that he gets on the field. I think in the era of the transfer portal, that's what it's for, so that a guy like that can find a new home and find a place to play. Uh, But yeah, you're feeling really confident if you're UCF, but you're also kind of asking this question of, all right, are we over that hump? Are we back to where we want to be 2017, 2018 style? Or is the possibility of a dead-like Louisville game possible? Or, you know, a little bit redundant in that sentence, but you know what I mean. Uh, Moving on. Navy 34, SMU 40. The most important thing to take away from this game is that the SMU Pony took crap on the field and just was running while the Pony did this. And it was phenomenal. And frankly, that's what you need to know. But actually, it was also a very good football game. (laughs) Uh, You know, SMU has incredible athletes on the outside. They've got some faults as a team. The defense is the way it's been for years now under previously Sonny Dykes. And now obviously under... Uh, Rhett Lashley, it's got holes and it's a thing that they need to figure out and work on. It's not impossible to work on those holes and get a good offense at the same time, but it's tough. Tanner Mordecai looks really good and effective in the system. I think that they might target Rishi Rice a little bit too much, teams with better corners than Navy, better athletes on the outside are going to be able to figure that out the way UCF figured it out, for instance, the way TCU figured it out, for instance. Uh, But against the Navy, you can get away with that. Now, Navy had a really good day offensively. Uh, and at the end there, they had a drop pass I thought would have given them a touchdown and a chance to kick an onside with a decent amount of time. That could have made it a little bit of a different game. Uh is really good at quarterback for Navy. He's getting, clearly getting more and more comfortable running the triple. That's good to see. Uh, you know that bye week did wonders for Navy. They have figured a lot of stuff out on that offensive side of the ball, which really alleviates pressure on the defensive side of the ball, where I think they've always been, at the very least, doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of the coaching, in terms of the scheme. Uh, Like I said, when you play a team like SMU, it's just tough for Navy to keep up as they don't have the physical talent to match. They don't have the size, they don't have the speed. And that's the problem for Navy in any game they play. Yeah. I mean, SMU, you got to be happy with it overall, though you had a really good day passing. Uh, it felt efficient. It felt like, you know, I mean, Navy had 40 minutes time of possession, so they played their game. And, you know, but that kind of plays into what SMU wants. They don't mind if they, you know, are scoring quick. It was just an interesting clash. of styles. It was a fun game to watch. Uh, Tulane 45, USF 31. The big thing here is that Gary Bohannon's out for the season. Uh, USF quarterback transfer from Baylor got injured about halfway through this game, a little bit before that uh, shoulder injury, you know, they announced after the game that the extras came back negative. Uh, today, I'm recording this on Tuesday, October 18th, it was announced that he's done for the year because he needs uh, shoulder surgery, which absolutely stinks for him because he was just starting to really get into the flow and rhythm of this uh, USF offense. You felt they were improving because, you know, first off, Tulane's ranked now. Shout out to Tulane ranked in the top 25 of the people. That's... Uh, an oddity, to say the least. Uh, but, you know, you just gave Cincinnati hell and you were giving Tulane a game before Bohannon went out. And when Bohannon went out, you bring in uh, Marsh, is his name, Catravius uh, uh, Marsh. Uh, and he's, he had a couple explosive plays that looked good and made the stat line a little bit better. He didn't make any horrible mistakes, but he was also clearly not ready to be the quarterback at, you know, a lot of things go into that. Uh, didn't practice with the starters at all, probably all season. Uh, probably wasn't expecting to go in the game, though. You know, Mentality prepare, blah, 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 yada, yada. Uh, as the season goes on, you'll see him improve too and get more comfortable with the guys around him. But yeah, for me, the story is, first and foremost, USF injuries are piling, piling, piling up. I think 21 different players on their two deep have at least missed a few games this year at one point or another. I mean, something like 18 guys are currently hurt from their two deep, which is just unholy levels of injuries. And it's, you know, it's a shame because that does make it much harder for Jeff Scott to actually close down one of these schemes when he's, you know, playing with backups. But at the same time, he's at the end of his runway. So, like, it just feels like an excuse at the same time because it just does to me. Uh Injuries happen. This is an awful year for them for USF. It's going to continue to affect them because, you know, you've got like a half dozen guys out for the season now. Uh, but, you know, again, UCF had injury problems like that last year. And they lost games I felt like they shouldn't have. But they also still went 8-4 and four in the regular season. And they still beat Florida in a bowl game, you know. And this is not a USF team that's going to a bowl. Uh, the defense is still an embarrassment uh, for them. Michael Pratt played very well in this game but I'm wondering a little bit, did you make him look better than he is? Spears ran all over you. Uh, good two lane team, really good two lane team. First bowl eligible AAC team this year. Really great story. Great bounce back after a pretty awful year last year. And we've talked about the reasons why that was, uh, but yeah, my focus is, a my focus should be on two lane because it's the positive story, right? Willie Fritz has done a great job. He's been doing a great job. I, I'm pretty confident that the Hurricanes, why they went two and ten last year, I think otherwise they would be closer to six and six. Uh, definitely helps them this year that they had a much easier out of conference schedule. You didn't have a good Oklahoma team like you did last year. You didn't have a good Ole Miss team like you did last year. Uh, just like UCF wants back that Louisville game, Tulane really wants back that Southern Miss game. Oh, clearly your three top teams, and I believe they all play each other at some point. So you're going to get this figured out. All right. And our final game of the day is Memphis 45, ECU 47. This game went into four overtimes. It was a ton of fun. You get to that kind of... It's a two-point shootout, basically, after the second overtime. Uh, They tried to make overtime shorter because you had a few like 9, 10 overtime games. So what they do now is they do this one regular college overtime. Then the second college overtime, after you score a touchdown, you have to go for two. Then the third one becomes just like a two-point shootout. I don't love that change because you still see a game like Illinois Penn State last year it goes like 9, 10, 11 overtimes, however many that was. Here's the 2 shootout thing, which I think is a little bit off-putting to me. I don't like it. it. It's not the vibe I want out of my overtime. I like the traditional college overtime format a lot better than that. Uh, but do you see managed to win it? ECU is better than Memphis this year because they're the better coach team at this point. I'm happy, content to say that Mike Houston's a great coach, and Ryan Silverfield is struggling at Memphis right at this point. You blew at one point. Memphis was up 17 nothing in this game, and they blew the lead. It's kind of what I was saying about Temple, where they came out and had a really good script early in this game. Same thing happening against Houston. You had a really good script to build this lead, but then when it became a chess match, and you began to have to make, you know, the other coach makes adjustments to you. And then you have to adjust to those adjustments. Memphis didn't adjust. They just sort of kept doing the same thing. And that to me is an issue. And that to me is an issue with coaching. And I, you have to look at the head guy, Ryan Silverfield, when that happens. Uh, and the fact is that Memphis is not playing to that level that they were under Fuente or Norvell, which is kind of what the fans began to expect. Memphis has aspirations, and that's a good thing. It's good to be an aspirational program. I really hate it when you get a program content to be mediocre. You know, I think that I hate to harp on USF, but I think for a long time, USF was very content with their position in the sport. They made it to the Big East and they got content. They didn't feel like they needed things like an indoor practice facility, they didn't feel like they needed things like an on campus stadium. And then the Big East collapsed and they ended up in a mid-tier conference, frankly, compared to what was an automatic qualifier with the Big East. You know, I think people forget that You know, it was an automatic qualifier. You were a BCS conference. Now you are not. That's just... It's an objective difference. And then you saw other teams within your conference within your state have exceedingly more success than you. And now USF is trying to do those things to fix itself, which I'm happy they're doing because I want them to be competitive because it's frustrating to me that they're not, there's no reason why they shouldn't, you know, the indoor practice uh, facilities coming along nicely, they're getting the money together for an on-campus stadium. That's a good thing. Memphis is the same way. Their are aspirational. The Liberty Bulls are going through major innovations. Memphis was really bothered by being left out of big 12 expansion. They thought that they had a really good shot at making it in that first round there and they got left out. And I think it really, it was like kicking the shin to them, like a, Hey, your little brother to those three teams, which they do not feel like they are. You know why should they feel like they're a little brother to Houston? Say they're they've been better than Houston for a very long time now, uh, overall in this conference. You know Houston basically in the American side one really great year and a lot of disappointing ones. Let's not Houston's gain in because of geography and money in history. They're not getting into the Big Twelve because of recent success. I think that's what upsets Memphis, but if you, as Memphis, let yourself off and become a consistently Birmingham Bowl, Gasparilla Bowl kind of team, you're going to get forgotten about. You you need to be at the top. You need to be around 10 wins to be remembered if you're Memphis right now, and that's where they want to be. They want to be that premier G5 program. And can Silverfield get you there? I don't know that he can. I don't think he can actually because he's had a few years and he inherited a Cotton Bowl team. I love Seth Hennigan. I think he's great, but he's the only thing you have going for you on offense right now. The running game is non-existent. like Absolutely non-existent running game, which is so weird for me for Memphis to just not be able to run the ball the way they used to. They don't have weapons on the outside like we all know they should. This is the transfer portal there. There's no excuse for a team like Memphis to not have great weapons on the outside. You know, you look at UCF's wide receivers and Ryan O'Keefe is really the only productive wide receiver for UCF who came to UCF out of high school. You know, you got Auburn, Florida, Alabama, you know, like Notre Dame transfers into the program because guys who go to a power conference because they're a four or five star and that's what you do, yada, yada. uh, Who find, oh, the playing time's not there right away or something's wrong. When they transfer out, they tend to transfer down. And where... Memphis is located. They have to compete for recruits with Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, LSU, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, all these other like SEC schools. Frankly, Uh, so you kind of have struggled to get them out of high school. You can find some diamonds in the rough, and I know that. But when these guys transfer down, there's no reason that Memphis shouldn't be the top of their list, and doesn't feel like they have been, or at least the guys that Memphis has taken have not stepped up, or they've been the wrong decision. That's an issue. Uh, You can't keep blowing leads like this. I'm all credit to ECU on the opposite end of the spectrum, though, because they had to take advantage of you allowing them to come back in this game. Holton Aylers looked really good for large parts of this game. Uh, you know, he had more than 300 yards passing. and Keaton Mitchell looked really, really good. They let him be a workhorse in this game again. Uh, yeah, I just, I guess I don't have too much to say. I think he did have a couple of interceptions. That's not something that helps you over the course of the game, but yeah, it was tough. Tough look for Memphis, I think. Uh, Anyways, moving on to our week eight preview. I don't have a ton of news to look at uh, in between. So we're just going to roll through. Uh, On the picks last week, I was 4-0. Emily was 3-1. The one difference was I had SMU. She had Navy. Uh, I'm 40-15 and overall. She's 31-24. and I'm going to give you my picks as we go through. And we're just going to... Emily always tweets out her picks anyways. And, you know... We're going to take our word for it on her picks. We're going to let her get away with that one because she's sick, and we're not going to harass her for picks in between segments. Uh, the first game to look at though is Tulsa at Temple. Tulsa coming off a of bye week, which I think they pretty much needed. It's an offense that struggled to do anything other than pass the ball, and they passed the ball really, really well. But at the same time, things have kind of gotten a little funky for them over there, I'd say. Uh, it's been a longer, tougher year than I expected. they right now. They're technically 10th in the American. They got their doors blown off by Navy. They, you know, they didn't give themselves an easy out of conference schedule, mind you. But yeah, it's just it's ugly right now. And you're going to Temple as a two and four team against a two and four team. And That's not where you wanted to be if you're a Tulsa team that is coming off bowl games and back to back seasons. Still time to turn it around and get there, but it's going to be hard at this point to do that. And, you know, After Temple, you got SMU, Tulane, Memphis, USF, Houston. You need to find four wins there. I don't know that I can find four wins in there if you're Tulsa. Uh, but you they're coming off the buy-in. Temple is coming off. It's, not, it's technically a long week because they played on Thursday night against UCF, and this is a Friday night game. Um, but I think that Temple is going to need their bye weeks. And I think they need to... Wait, they already had it, didn't they? All right, whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, Temple's a team that needs to find a little bit of offensive momentum. They need to find a little clarity with what they're doing there. Because right now, the running game isn't effective the way I was hoping it would be. understand Drayden. And I think he'll come around. I think Drayden's a good head coach. I think he's a good head coach who's mature enough for the role. I think that Temple, at least administratively, understands what type of rebuild they're in for. It's going to be a long one. Just factually, that's what it is. Uh, Tulsa, you have to answer these questions, though, because you're not doing the things well that you did in the two bowl years. You're not defensively this stalwart defense. You're not pretty dominant in the trenches the way you were. Those are weaknesses now versus strengths a couple of years ago and i don't trust tulsa um, we've had this conversation i do not like picking tulsa uh i think they bite me uh in the heel too often than not at the same time i'm picking them over navy because i said well navy still got a bunch of issues so tulsa and i think. I'm about to fall victim to that again because I'm going to pick Tulsa to beat Temple because they're coming off a buy and they are the more talented team. They're not going through the same kind of roster uh, roster rebuild issues. But man, I don't trust it at the same time. I really don't. Uh, moving on. Cincinnati at SMU. I think this is going to probably be your... Uh, no, I take that back. It's going to be one of two games of the week here in the American. maybe. <laughs> We got pretty good week, uh, slate of games. We got five of them. We'll get to the other ones later. Uh, but Cincinnati at SMU, I don't love Ben Bryant. It's just such a clear step off from Desmond Ritter, who I was already at as a little bit, uh, you know, I don't think he was what made that team tick and run properly. But you can see the drop off and you can see it in the consistency of the offense. Um, that's not just uh, Ritter to Bryant. It's, a lot of positions, you're noticing that there's no Alec Pierce, I think, you know, also the defensive side of the ball, you're noticing the youth. I mean, this Cincinnati team has had a ton of penalties. I've harped on Houston's penalties. Cincinnati is right there at the bottom of the country in penalties with Houston. It's it's pretty sloppy. You know, it looks like a young team, which I think a more mature SMU team, which they are, uh, can possibly take advantage of that, especially at home. Now, Emily hates the environment at SMU. She had to not. She was not impressed with the uh, Iron Skillet game turnout uh, slash intensity. Uh, I've never been, so I can't speak to it myself. But you need to come loud because you want to get Brent. For all my, I think are his limitations as a player, he is experienced and smart. Uh, so it's you need to bring a little intensity as a crowd here. I think that as SMU, you run into issues because you're too reliant on Rasheed Rice. You know, Cincinnati is a very well-coached team and they've got the athletes to shut that down the same way UCF did, the same way Navy didn't. So, you know, if Cincinnati goes and mans up on him and gives a little safety over the top help and that's the way you're looking every single time and it's just not there, you need to find a second option. And SMU to this point in the season hasn't found a second option and that's when they've been limited at times against, say. Uh, the fourth quarter of Maryland or the UCF game or, you know, pick your poison. Uh, I think it's going to be a really tight, close game. I'm not ready to pick SMU against a team of equal or against a team that's frankly more talented than they are a little bit deeper and with a much more experienced proven head coach. I'm not ready to pick SMU in that game. I think down the line, they'll get there under Rhett Lashley. I'm not right to pick them to beat Cincinnati. We've seen them play two Power Five teams and one of the top three teams in this conference already, and they've lost all those games. Yeah, Cincinnati. All right. The next game Houston at Navy, which is a very interesting game for me uh, because I don't trust Houston at this point. They beat Memphis on comeback, and they're coming off a bye week. Those are worth pointing out. You might have a little momentum. Clayton Tune it is awesome. I still, I've, I've been disappointed with what we've seen from him, but I still think he's probably probably the best quarterback in the conference. I think certainly the most consistently proven quarterback in the conference. That's, you know, just me. Navy is a weird environment to go and try to win in because it's just so unique. Uh, It's another thing we've talked about in the past on the show. Uh, The vibe is different. It sounds weird and silly, but it's just different. You know, it's tough to go win at West Point. It's just different there. You know, you go and you play a game at a, you know, Nippert or Bounce House or Daddy Ficklin or Liberty Bowl. Those are tough places to win because they're tough places to when the crowd's tough, the team you're playing can be good. Uh, you know, there's those types of factors. You know, you go to play, at, I don't want to pick on anyone here necessarily, but I guess I'll pick on Tulane since they're 6-1 and one and they can take it on the chin right now. You go to play at Yeoman, it's not really that scary a place to play. Tulane doesn't draw great crowds because unless you go to Tulane, you're an LSU fan. You know, it's just how it is down there. Uh, So it's not that scary. Yeah, and the humidity might get to you, but like it's not this intense environment. But Navy's unique Uh, and the triple option is unique. And I'm not convinced that Houston's defense is up for the challenge because. Well, the front seven was supposed to be a strength for them. and hasn't always been a strength. And, you know, it's just such a unique... I mean, they had two weeks to get prepared for it. So I'm probably going to take Houston based on them having the athletes that Navy struggles to keep up with and the extra week to prepare for the triple. But it's, it's not a confident Houston pick, I guess, is what I'm saying. I'm picking all weight teams at this point. That's got to change soon. Uh, yeah, so I'm picking Houston based on the athletic talent. I think maybe they count a little bit of confidence with that coming back at uh, Memphis, but I'm not I'm not convinced because Houston still does a lot of little things wrong. They still get penalized a lot, uh, yeah, penalized a lot. They're still not playing consistent football. By week's when you fix a lot of those problems though. So maybe you get a new team regenerated uh, rejuvenated, uh, moving along, chugging along. Moving along, starting along. Memphis at Tulane. Uh, speaking of the House of Horrors, that is Yeoman Stadium. That's where this will be getting played. Uh, Memphis needs one bad at this point. And Tulane, I don't know that they're going to give it up to Memphis. This Tulane defense had a couple of issues against USF, a couple of jailbreak plays, a couple of issues with the running quarterback in, Jar- uh, in Gary Bohannon. But... I don't think that that'll be an issue against Memphis because Memphis, Seth Hennigan, is not a running quarterback. He's not a running threat. Uh, he's, a good, you know, he's a good quarterback, but he's just not a runner. Uh, Memphis has no running game. So I think it they make themselves a little bit one-dimensional like that because they can't do one thing. So you know it's coming in. You're throwing into what I consider to be a pretty good 2 secondary where they're willing to rush three or four, trust their pass rushers to get a little bit of pressure, and make you read what's going on. You know, Tulane will make you read and experience secondary seven or eight deep in coverage. And that's not easy to do. And again, it's capable, but doing it consistently is tough. On top of that, there's no reason to trust that Tulane... Sorry, that Memphis is going to be able to adjust to what Tulane does. Willie Fritz, just like Mike Houston, is a better coach than Ryan Silverfield right now. He's more proven than Ryan Silverfield. So, you know, if adjustments need to be made, I trust one coach to make them that I don't trust the other one to make right now. Uh, Michael Pratt is a good quarterback. He's not great, but he's looking more and more comfortable in his third offensive system (laughs) in three years than he did, certainly than he ever did under Chip Long. Uh, That's another story, though, I think, uh, to get into what's going on, fluctuating there. I think that Tulane's going to win this game. I don't know that it'll be handily. I think it's going to be a fun, entertaining game to watch. But, uh, yeah, unless Julian gets the gifts from seeing that number 25 next to their name, I don't see see them losing. All right, then finally, we've got one more game on the slate. It's possibly the game of the week. It's UCF at ECU. You know, UCF is trying to crack into that top 25 where they think they belong already, and I tend to agree. ECU is looking to build on that come-from-behind win against Memphis and really kind of make a run at the American if they can. If you beat, you know, if you're ECU and you beat UCF, that'll go a long way because that gives UCF a conference loss and it helps when you already have conference loss like you're, like ECU does. Helps your confidence, helps the program. I've seen ECU fans talking about this game already about how it's more important than the NC State game, how it's, how important it is to beat the UCFs and Cincinnati's of the world because not only are they... Essentially, Big Twelve teams at this point. We all—it's kind of that weird limbo stage this season for both of them and Houston as well. Uh, but they've been this kind of bully to ECU for the past since 2015. I should say since 2016. 2015 was the last time ECU beat UCF, though. Uh, and you know, you want you want to get a win in this one if you're the Pirates. You just would feel so good, and you're at home, and the atmosphere is going to be awesome. Dowdy is an awesome atmosphere. It's really, I'm telling you, it's one of the better atmospheres in the conference. It's, I mean, I'm biased. I love the bounce house. Nippert's incredible and incredibly tough to play. In. And it's Dowdy, Ficklin, you know, those are the top three. You know, again, Navy's very unique and worth seen, and it's almost in its own category, but those are the top three. I don't think that many people would debate that either. Uh, you know, maybe a Memphis fan who loves the Liberty Bowl, but. You know, but it is was this game itself. I think is interesting because you know UCF's offense is coming full guns blazing, and I need to see them do that consistently. Because you know, first in September, you could see them going through growing pains at times against Georgia Tech. they were clearly growing pains. Obviously against Louisville, they were growing pains. Uh, you know, in the first half against SMU, there were growing pains for this UCF offense. So I, you know, this is a pretty good conference opponent here. You need to show me that you can do that consistently. On the other side of the ball, what's Holton Ayler's going to do against this UCF secondary? Because this UCF secondary is legit full of NFL players. And Holton Ayler's might be in for a long day if he isn't at the top of his game. You know, Ehlers is a talented and capable quarterback, but he's never lived up to being this great quarterback that I thought he could be a few years ago when he first broke onto the scene. Now, Emily will point out he holds a lot of records these days and I think that's more accumulation over time than it is him being phenomenal. It's consistently good, inconsistent overall. I want him to be good. I want him to take that next step. This is a guy who I think can be capable of it but I just don't know that's ever going to happen at this point in his fifth season with the ECU. Uh, The Pirates, I think, are going to have trouble scoring on UCF, which means they need their defense to make UCF's offense look like it regressed. If it comes down to special teams, both of these teams that had early season issues at kicker and made replacements to the kicking game. um, So far, it's worked out really well for UCF, I'd say. So far for UCF, it's too soon to make a decision on their kicker change. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, at the end of the day, I think UCF is experienced. I think they're more talented. And I think that UCF's going to win by. Not a ton, but by enough where you go, yeah, UCF was the better team. It it won't be a fluke win. And yeah, that's the week that we're looking at in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, We'll get Emily's picks from her later. We'll hold her to it. We won't let her cheat and pick on like Sunday morning or anything like that. But I hope that this wasn't terrible. I really do. Because it's easy to start rambling. And you got to try to stay focused and keep the conversation going and not... Allow for a breath of air because you, you take a breath of air. And you go, it's weird, it's quiet, and it's just me trying to catch my breath and not trip over my own tongue. And you know, this is what it feels like to be the one AM on a Saturday night radio guy for Sports Talk who is just trying to make it his uh, just trying to make his career work. And it, uh, it's not fun. It's not easy. Hey, do we have any callers online? Absolutely not. All right, I'll just keep talking and talking and talking, but that's all right. We'll see you next week for hopefully a two-person show with Emily back. Uh, looking forward to this weekend, five AAC games I'm excited about. It. Uh, make sure, by the way, I got to plug this for Emily. Go check out our fullback story. It's awesome. It's on Uh Go check out my work. It's on on3.com. I would appreciate it because, you know, sometimes you get stories about a pony, you know, taking crap all over the field. And sometimes that's the number one traffic story on on3 for 24 hours. And sometimes that's awesome. Uh, Emily's Twitter handle is at m Check her out. She does great work over there. Great content on Twitter. I'm at Dan underscore Morrison 96. I, of course, also appreciate getting the shout out or check out or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we'll see you next week.